holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, uh, goodly evening to you, even though it's goodly morning where you are. So strange. You sound upside down. You're in the upside down. I am slightly. Yeah. <laughs> I am in the upside down. I, I'm in... I'm in Melbourne in my hotel room in Melbourne. I have to tell you that the Wi-Fi in the hotel room is, well, it's it's abysmal. It, I think you'd get better internet if you got two tin cans and, and held them together with string. We'd have a better connection if we could stretch it all those thousands of miles uh, across the various oceans. Uh, but what I'm doing... I've got like a mobile phone connection, a 4G mobile phone connection, which I'm using uh, on my laptop and I'm tethering off that and I'm hoping it holds up for the duration of this podcast. So fingers crossed. Is this is this an expensive podcast for you? Is this costing you a lot of money? <laughs> No, I got I got like a, a local SIM card. Uh, I realized that when I got here, if I if I wanted to use data, it was like seventeen thousand dollars a megabyte, and every text message cost a bazillion pounds. Mm. So what I did was I got a just a local SIM card. I think it cost me fifty or sixty dollars to get you know a number and ten gigabytes of data for the for the duration of my stay here. So it's not too bad, in fairness, um, and it, it is miles better than the Wi-Fi in the hotel. So. Uh, I, I am hopeful it might hold up. So, are you having a good? So time? they are. Are you having a good time down there, down under? Down under, I am. I'm, I'm finding it very hard to get used to the time of stuff and what time it is and what time it is everywhere else. It's. I know the uh, the people who live here will will uh, will know what I'm talking about, but I. Um, it's very strange being awake when everyone that you know more or less is asleep. Yeah. You know? Um, like everyone at home or everyone like in that part of the world is fast asleep and you're awake and it's the middle of the day and you're going, well, this is, this is a little bit strange. And yeah, the, like the travel is a bit, is a bit difficult. It's a bit grim. Um, but you know, we got here. We're doing all right, um, and I am having a good time. Yeah, it's an, uh, Melbourne is a an amazing city. I have to say, having uh, arrived on what fucking day did I arrive? Uh, Thursday. Something. I think I arrived on Thursday evening here in Melbourne, and. You know the way you can get a feel for a place quite quickly mm. uh, when you go to a city. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's just. It's great. All it is. It's like Melbourne, as far as I can see, is seventy-five percent restaurants. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> nice restaurants. There's loads of others. There's. Yes. It, yeah. I've been to a few really nice ones. Uh, I met a cousin of mine last night. And we had an, a, a nice meal. But like 
everywhere you look, it's food places everywhere. Um, and it's like, oh, I, I think I'd like to eat there. Oh, no, I better eat there. I, I, oh, I better eat there. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you like food, if you're a food kind of person, then I'd say Melbourne is a is a city that you would you would be into. And the, the first couple of days I was here, the weather was outstanding. It was amazing. It was like 25 degrees. Today's a little different. Uh, it was raining earlier. So that, you know, well, what can you do? But the first couple of days, just absolutely superb weather. So uh, everyone said, you must have brought the Irish weather with you i i didn't want to you know disappoint them and say that's not the case yeah just so they never visit and the spell isn't broken uh and what about yes, the, have exactly. you done the talk that you were going to do was that fun yes we did that on saturday evening and um that was that was really good fun actually it was uh it was good in front of an audience of mostly Arsenal fans. There was one Tottenham fan there um he, yeah, he wasn't there specifically that. to see me he, he had just bought a you heard it? How the hell did you hear about Somebody that? Somebody asked a question on Twitter. I can't think who it was now, sorry. But they said, what, what was it like having a very talkative um, talkative Tottenham fan uh, in, in your talk the other day? Ah, right. Yeah, he did ask a question. He made a comment about Saul Campbell, I think, at one stage, which I, you know, very cleverly threw back in his face, as you would expect. Um, but no, the talk went really well. And then we went and watched the Arsenal-Swansea game with a load of the Melbourne Gooners in a, in a place called the Imperial Hotel. And uh, that, that, was, that was tremendous fun, um, you know, especially given that we won the game. That, that was good. But uh, yeah, the talk went well. I was at a university today giving uh doing a workshop with some of their sports journalism students uh and that was good fun as well they were they were quite different from irish students i have to say because uh i've done a few things at home with irish students they're not quite as open they're not quite as uh, as confident uh, or, or willing to ask questions but these guys were really great so that was that was fun and just sort of seeing stuff and taking walks by the river and uh the I, uh, my hotel is right by the the mcg the melbourne cricket ground and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it seems like a very fun place, Melbourne. Uh, it is quite expensive, though. Uh, I got a beer tonight. It costs fourteen dollars for a beer. It's like, holy shit! That's a lot. Yeah. What, how many yeah. euros is that? I don't know. I guess probably ten. Right. But, I mean, it I'm, sounds I'm a just lot. Guessing. Fourteen dollars sounds a lot. Um, yeah, that's a lot. It does sound a lot. Like uh, one cocktail is like twenty dollars. Wow, that I mean, fourteen dollars is yeah. like ten, more than ten pounds, ten British pounds for a drink. Wow, it's much right. worse than London. I mean, it is worse than London. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, what time was uh, anyway. the kickoff in the game when you were watching it in the hotel over your time? One o'clock in the morning. Wow, one o'clock in the morning. So we we went and watched. We went. We left the event and we went and watched the Tottenham Manchester United game on. Uh, which was on, I think it was kicking off at half 12, something like that. So that was half 10 here. So we watched that game and it was pretty awful. Yeah, um, not a thriller. And then Manchester United won. No, not a thriller. And then you have to, you've got this thing going on where you go, well, at least Tottenham lost, but then you realize Mourinho's happy and it's like, oh, you know, I couldn't know. they just have drawn and kicked the shit out of each other? That would have been amazing. I think a nil-nil draw is sort of what the quality of the game deserve to be honest and and probably what would have made me happier somebody rang me up and was like hey do you see Spurs lost and I was like I can't be as happy about that as I normally am do you know um, no no and, and those Mourinho teams I mean it is amazing isn't it he, he is 
getting a res- he is getting results there, and they have bought a lot of players, but mm. they're still can be absolutely miserable to watch, especially in those big games. Yeah, absolutely dull, uh, dull as dishwater. But there you go. We shouldn't worry too much about what Mourinho does because we've got enough of our own stuff to worry about, I think, yeah. uh, generally speaking. In general, I don't mean like, you know, specifically with what happened against uh, Swansea. But, you know, if you if you had to start worrying about Jose Mourinho on top of everything else that's going on in the world at the moment, you'd be, I think you'd be under a lot of pressure in your own brain, right? I think we can put him to one side for, for a period. I think that's probably sensible. <laughs> All right. So, how's everything on your side of the world? Is it you know everything's just the same? Okay? Just no, having like, accidents and stuff as usual. Nothing's changed. Don't worry. Oh no! What now? Um, what now? Did I talk on here about having a car crash a while ago? Did I talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah okay, great. You did. Yeah, my yeah, car. Yeah. Yeah, your car was written off. I passed away. Sadly, yeah. And I um, oh. bought a new car. Believe it or not, um, was excited. A brand new one or just yeah, a, just like a, a newish? One. It was only a couple of years old. But I had an extraordinary incident happen with that this weekend where I had driven oh, back no. to my home um, and uh, basically as I was pulling into sort of one of the car parking spaces on, on uh, the street, it's sort of on a slight downward hill and I parked up and my, um, my flatmate looked out the window, my flatmate Jack saw me out the window and waved at me because he was excited to see me because I'd been away for a few days. And I, uh, I I thought I'll get out the car, but I, on the driver's side of the car was a very fancy car parked next to me, like a sports car. And I thought, I know, I know me with my luck. I'll open this door. <clears throat> Sorry. I'll open this door and I'll scratch the car. Can't take the risk. Don't want to take that yeah. risk. Not fair on the bloke. So I thought I'll climb across and exit on the passenger side. So Jack's waving to me. I'm climbing across, exit on the passenger side. Suddenly... My foot, as I'm climbing across, catches the handbrake and the car starts rolling away. (laughs) With me, like with my head out of the passenger door, like climbing across, not understanding what's happened. And the car's just rolling and he's looking and I could just see his face changing from warm welcome to initial horror to hilarity as my car just rolls about 10 yards down the hill into a tree. Absolutely incredible. Oh, oh my God! Like arse first into a tree. Yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. Car. No, it, fa- it went forwards. It was, it was facing down a hill. Oh, yeah. forwards! I mean, oh my it God! It was really. It was a. It was. I mean, it, I had to laugh about it because it must have looked so amazing with this man, this big mat sort of man who didn't really fit in this little car, trying to get out it on the wrong side as it just rolled away from him. <laughs> um. Oh no! What kind of car was it? What kind of were, were, were you like the guy in that Simpsons episode <laughs> where he's driving along in the really mini car and, and Nelson goes ha ha and he gets out and he goes, "Why are you laughing? This is the only car I can afford. Do you think I should be mocked for having a car that is too small for me?" That I one am, I is am it that kind of size car? Because I use that voice. Um, it's just a little hatchback, but you know, I I I was just very ungainly. I mean, you know me, Andrew. I, I I'm not the most graceful man, so. <laughs> That's not no, like you, trying, <laughs> trying to exit a car headfirst on the wrong side. Not really my forte. But anyway, I mean, look, this happened on the Saturday. Um, Arsenal went and won a football match. I, You know, I've done my part again. Direct correlation. There's just no avoiding it at this no. point. 
There's no avoiding it, really, to be perfectly honest. Um, okay, well, look, I think we should probably talk about the game then. Um, I have to say that when you watch a game at one o'clock in the morning and you've been having a few beers since 10.30, by the time the game ends, your your analysis is not quite as forensic as it might be. So I'm a bit reliant on you. You were there, I'm sure, uh, you know, to, to fill me in and to, you know, correct me if I go wrong when I uh, voice some kind of opinion about how we played. But I have to say, the first half was not great. No, no. I, I, I noticed that I tweeted something saying, come on, Arsenal, stop being twats. And I think that probably summed up that first I half. I think that's a very uh, apt and fair assessment. I mean, is it? It was a bit. It was a bit sort of a reminiscent of the Norwich game. Completely different team, but not an entirely dissimilar pattern of play. I mean, you know, Swansea were quite well organised and had set up to hurt us on the break. They put two strikers out there really in Abraham and Ayu, and that gave us more problems than it ought to have done. I think. You know it, it, what it meant was that we couldn't push up an extra defender into midfield as freely, so we we didn't have the overload that we sometimes get going forward. Um, and obviously, you know, we conceded a what you know what looked like a very sloppy goal. Really, I mean, it just sort of the, I thought the back line was a a bit of a mess on that one, a little bit actually, like Norwich's opener in, in the Carabao Cup game in, in in the way it came about. Yeah, there seemed to be just like, you know, when we can see goals this season, it seems to be because we've made some kind of uh, of a mistake or something hasn't gone quite as well as it should have. And Lauren Koscielny normally coming out to intercept that ball, he would have taken a decent touch and, and just moved on into midfield, but his touch was a bit off. Then he fell, he slipped, and, and that allowed uh, Abraham, I think it was, to play the ball through to Klukas. Um yeah, so I mean, there was a bit of a bit of bad fortune there, but also you know it, it, it could go down as an Arsenal mistake. Yeah, I think so. Sam Lucas is one of those footballers who I sort of pretend to know about because I feel like he should. Enough people have paid money for him in his career that he sort of should be a thing, but I don't know his story. I don't know where he comes from, and I, to be honest, like <laughs> I, I can barely muster the enthusiasm to invest in him as a character in the in the. Do you know yeah, what I mean? No, I agree with you. No, I. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We had a conversation about him before on, on an Arscast in the past where we had players who sound like Arsenal players and Klukas obviously sounded like Lucas and it just sounds like he's a made-up name on, you know, a pro-evolution kind of game that wants to sound like one of the players that we have. Klukas. Yeah, he looks like one of those um, as well. But yeah, what, what do... <laughs> a regenerated uh, regenerated player what did, was there any issue for you with regards to the goalkeeper in terms of the goal should Petr Cech have come out or should he have stayed he wasn't or was particularly or what? quick off his line and the ball did ultimately go through his legs I saw a lot of criticism of Cech online after that I mean I suppose that my reaction was kind of a little bit unsurprised I mean that's not the area where Cech is at his strongest you know kind of racing off his off his line mm. um, so I, I, I wasn't particularly taken aback by it I just sort of think that I was a bit more alarmed by kind of the shape of the back five at that point and the slight uncertainty over exactly who should have followed Klukas in you know I think like Bellerin kind yeah. of let him go and then Koscielny was out of the game effectively but Mertzaka didn't quite come across I just felt like there was a bit of you know, sometimes with this system, it feels like sometimes we get away with it a bit. And then other times our slight ignorance yeah. and naivety positionally can be exposed. And I think the types of goal we're conceding 
is changing. I think that with a four at the back, we were very vulnerable to big diagonals uh, in behind the wing backs and sort of crosses to the far post. I think like now it feels like we're conceding more goals where passes are played in between the lines of our of our defence because I just don't know if everyone yeah. knows exactly who they should be following basically I have to say when I think about it and I've only just really started to think about it and I could be completely wrong here but it strikes me that Petr Cech uh, makes most of his good saves on the left hand right. side uh, you know as, as if he were diving to his left but when he's coming out to that near post to his right hand post he tends to get beaten a bit more easily I'd love to um, research that a little bit and see but yeah I don't know I mean keeper comes out he puts it between your legs I don't know what you can really do about that um, maybe you should slide along the ground I don't know don't leave your legs open but yeah it was it was fairly typical wasn't it that it was their first um, it was their first shot on goal it was their first touch inside our penalty area apparently and, and it turns out to be a goal and regardless of what formation we play whether it's four at the back whether it's three and four in midfield or five whatever way you want to look at it that weakness uh, appears to be there I thought it was very interesting and I wrote about it in the blog today was Granit Xhaka saying yeah the fact that we've come from behind for three games in a week that shows you that this team has real character and you know you can see that point of view but like how about mm-hmm. not going behind that would also show some character, right? I guess it's not as uh, as easy a demonstration of character as shutting the opposition out. But, uh, you know, when you come back from behind, it's it's a bit more dynamic, a bit more remarkable maybe. But, you know, stop conceding the first goal or stop going behind to these teams. That yeah, would be a much better it's, idea. It's a twofold thing. I mean, we, do, we are kind of recapturing that Chesney era capacity to concede the first chance uh, despite dominating games. I mean, that was kind of his <laughs> hallmark, wasn't it? one of the things that was really held up against him and, and that team but we're, we're kind of uh, regressing a little bit in that respect but I also think it's about going forward it's mm-hmm. about you know there wasn't necessarily the same kind of urgency I would say even in in, in the performance against Swansea even that we saw against Everton I mean we went behind against Everton but I felt like from the very first minute we kind of stamped our authority on that game and our in- attacking intent on it in a way that we it took us a longer time to do against Swansea, and and I, I yeah, it was odd. I mean, it was a, it was a yeah. bit of a you probably wouldn't have got this uh, over on the other side of the world, but it was a bit of a curious atmosphere in the ground. It was it was very quiet, and for a team who, you know, had sort of two very encouraging results in a week in terms of the Everton game, and then all right, maybe not an encouraging result against Norwich, but something a bit heartwarming and something a bit different, a good story at any rate. Yeah, 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 a real you moment. Sense like a huge anticipation. You know, this was a chance to see Alexis Özil and Lacazette all together at home for the first time. And I, I don't say this to be critical of the fans necessarily, yeah. but there wasn't that kind of electric uh, anticipation in the ground. And what we were getting on the pitch didn't really do anything to sort of spark that or act as a catalyst for that either. Yeah, sure. I was expecting a bit more, I have to say, you know, given the the result against Everton, given the fact they also had a week off, you know, between the games, more or less, mm. uh, you know, the the, the uh, Carabao Cup team. And there was that moment, you know, with uh, Nketiah and what he did and, and just to sort of reignite some of the, the, the feel-good factor. I thought we might be a bit more dynamic in, in that first half. I mean, do we put that down to us? Is that down to our inconsistencies? Is it down to Everton uh, being a mess at the moment? Is it down to Swansea? 
flimsy being well organized or a combination of all those I things? Think as usual, it's a combination of all those things. What I would say, though, is that Swansea, I don't think Swansea are any great shakes. I don't think this is a strong Swansea team, particularly. You know, they lost their best player in the summer and I'm not sure they've adequately replaced him. They're, they have really struggled this season, particularly going forward. Um, and I think after what we had gone through in the past week, I was also expecting Arsenal not to necessarily blow them away, but to dominate this match in a way that we we didn't necessarily do. And uh, so I think that we, you know, we have to take the responsibility for that as a big team. You know, you will come up against teams who are well organised. You will come up against teams who sit deep in a low block. The responsibility is on you to be good enough to beat that. It's not always easy, but I didn't necessarily feel that we had, well, what Arsene Wenger would call the sharpness that you need on occasions like this. Um, that said, I, you know, yeah. this game is pretty unique in Arsenal terms because Arsene Wenger came out after it and actually spoke in plain terms about his tactical plans. Did you see that? Like He recognised where Arsenal really could uh, could exploit Swansea and we managed to do that really effectively in the second half so that was nice to see you know I think sometimes he's reticent to talk about those things but not on this occasion yeah what did he say he said they were blocking Bellerin down the right so we yeah. looked to move the ball over to to the left hand side and that seems fairly fairly obvious if you're having no joy down the right and there's loads of space on the left hand side well you know try and attack down there but I think what you've got to you've got to bear in mind is that you've got to have a player out there who's effective there's no point just lashing it out to the left hand side if there's nobody out there who can do anything with it and I think what's interesting about uh, say Kolasinac is that he is a player who who can make things happen you know when you look at the goals that he scored this season he scored in the charity shield the community shield rather against Chelsea that was the equaliser he scored against Cologne when we were a goal down, another equaliser. He scored against uh, Swansea at the weekend, another equaliser. And while, while we talk about character and we talk about desire and we talk about all those kind of things, these intangibles, I think there is something, there's a little bit of a pattern there. He is a player who, uh, if not necessarily always going to be a game winner, he's always going to give you the opportunity to get back into a game if you're if you're behind. And uh, I have to say, his, uh, his finish... Uh, for his goal, the ball broke to him. I think it was an Ozil cross and it broke to him. Uh, yeah, he put I mean, it away if, really you know, nice. If that had been Lucas Podolski in that position, you couldn't have necessarily expected a more emphatic finish than that. <laughs> and the thing about yeah, yeah, yeah. him is that when the ball rolled across to him, I actually felt pretty confident that he would put it away. And given that he's essentially mm. a defender, Agree, like a yeah. left wing back really, but uh, that's quite remarkable and it speaks not only to his technical quality which he showed off later in the game I don't know if you saw or remember but there was a fantastic kind of uh, pirouette almost with a little drag back for Alexis that was an amazing piece of steel and it yes. looks wrong someone's yeah, so big pulling that off but he he has real technical quality he is decisive and the greatest asset I think he has is actually composure in the final third you know it's so easy bear in mind these wingbacks are sprinting 50 yards sometimes to get on that overlap and get in those positions it's so easy to just blast it or just knock it across goal or you know scuff your cross he delivers time and time again in those situations and I think that speaks to his fitness the fact that he gets there and he's not completely puffed out but it also spoke, speaks to his awareness and just that clarity of thought in those moments it's uh it's a very, very useful tool, as, as he showed with, with his assist. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to to have provided a goal and an assist in one game, uh, you know, he's the guy who ultimately made the difference. A, a fairly, uh, I would say, a simple finish for Aaron Ramsey inside the box, making a, a good run. But it it comes down to the pass from Kolasinac and. Um, you know, I don't know, when's the last time a, a left-back or a left-wing-back for Arsenal got a goal and an assist, which ultimately proved decisive in one game? I think there's there's really something to him, you know? I know that um, I know that it's very difficult to talk about, uh, you know, he's a winner and he spoke on his, he put something up on his Instagram saying, you know, in football, the only thing is winning. And, you know, it's easy to, to lash up sound bites and all that kind of stuff. But you get the sense that that's, that is kind of his mantra when he goes out to play, that there's only one thing he wants to happen and that's for Arsenal to yeah, win or for absolutely. his team I mean, to win. You know, he's classic cult hero, really, straight away. And what's, what's nice about this performance, I suppose, is that there had been a little bit of a dip and, you know, I think we both suspect that maybe that's had something to do with an ongoing hip problem. And it's a shame that that appears to have reared its head again. I mean, this I think this speaks really to the the lack mm. of options that we have at wing back. You know, with Nacho Monreal having been converted essentially to a centre-half and Arsene Wenger seemingly not wanting to move him from there, which I completely understand. You know, I don't know. We haven't really got another left wing back, so we really need him to be fit for City. We, you know, I, he would be a huge miss on that occasion. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think he's going to have to do a bit more defending against Manchester City than he's had to do in probably any of the other games that he's played so far for Arsenal, and that's got to be the focus. But, you know, when you do have a player who can get forward and be that decisive in the final third, who can find those passes, who can just maybe even pull a little trick to find space for someone like Alexis, like we saw with that back heel, you know, if, if City are weak in any area, and they're they're clearly not a weak team, they're, they're a very, very good team, they're playing amazing football at this moment in time, but if they do have a weakness it is certainly uh, at the back uh, and uh, if we had Kolasinac available to try and exploit some of that I think we'd have a much better chance of uh, of getting a, a result there so yeah we'll, we'll keep fingers crossed that that he is um, that know, he's going to be fit for that it would be a shame if we last week about you know are Alexis and Kolasinac compatible and I, I thought this was a game that really showed that they are and can be going forward. I mean, there was some really nice little combination play between the two of them. They didn't necessarily uh, operate in the same space. And the thing about Alexis is, if Alexis doesn't rate a player, you can tell. <laughs> like, I've seen Alexis be a little bit reticent to give some guys the ball under pressure, want to go on his own. He likes playing with Colosinac. There were some really good moments there. So that's a big thing because, you know, Barring a, a big change of heart in January, you know they're going to be there until the end of the season. That's going to be our first choice pairing. So good that that understanding seems to be developing. Well, look, you know, so ultimately you've got to say a good win, uh, a win that we really needed since we played that Watford game where Troy Deeney cast aspersions on the character of the team. They've won mm. the next four games. Watford haven't won a game. They've lost uh, the well, two games. Did you see that incident with Deeney at yeah. the weekend? I only saw like a clip of it. That's some what, what? What the fuck was going on there? Like he was like he, you could just you could see him st- trying to gouge the eyes and he knew he couldn't gouge his eyes. So he gouged his cheeks. But the like the maniacal grin on his face. I mean, what was going I mean, on there? That was something kind of, else. Uh, like an animal, really. I mean, it's uh, I do what, uh, sort of wonder about Troy Deeney. Now. You know, when you come out with statements mm. like that about other teams, you you set yourself up in a certain way and you wonder if he almost that kind of machismo you know he has to deliver on that now because what happened at the weekend seemed completely unnecessary and uh, yeah. I don't know I, yeah he lost the plot to be honest with you 
Yeah, he really did. Uh, And hopefully he gets the ban he deserves because he really does deserve uh, a ban for that kind of behavior. It was just amazing to see a man like I know Joe Allen is not my favorite guy at all, but he like Dini was about twice his body mass. It was just just insane what was going on. But I want to I want to just go back if I can, because we didn't have an arse cast on Friday because I was traveling over here. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that Carabao Cup game against Norwich. And it was just it was awful. It was like on the night before I was leaving, I had to it was like horrendous it was like the worst 85 minutes of football I've seen all season and that you know is is up there with Arsenal that we haven't played some good stuff in some games this season I mean what about that from Eddie Nketiah where he comes onto the pitch and his first touch is a goal and his uh, his second goal was uh, an amazing header for for a guy uh, you know, who's not the tallest. Um, somebody somebody uh, likened the header that he scored to something like Tim Cahill, who, who is not the biggest guy, but just has this amazing timing, is brilliant in the air. Yeah. Uh, and what listen, a way to you make your home debut. more credit for it. After all, it was you on social media who said, Eddie and Katia will come on and save us all. I, I detected a, <laughs> maybe a hint of sarcasm in that initial post from you. <laughs> oh, come on, James. James, come on, please. You should, know better. you should know me better than that. <laughs> no, there was, but it was, it was it was that kind of a game, though, where, where a kid was going to have to come on and do something remarkable because it wasn't happening for Giroud, it wasn't happening for Walcott, it wasn't really happening for Wilshire, it wasn't happening for Iwobi. If it was going to happen, it was going to be somebody from the bench, and Nketia is, uh, as people have been talking about over the last uh, you know number of days, essentially yeah, a goal machine at every level he's ever played at. Level. Every, he, he keeps going up a level and keeps net scoring a hat-trick. I mean... Yeah, he, 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 he's someone who I've been excited about because, you know, you, you can't help but look at his record in the academy side and feel bowled over by it. I think, you know, the the word of caution always with Arsenal is look at the people who've come before him. You know, Benikafobe, we had such high hopes for. Chubarakpom, you know, both young English strikers who who didn't necessarily make that step. Um, you know, there are others from other countries. Arturo Lupoli looked like he was going to be possibly the greatest footballer in the world. Is that fair to say? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. were all there. We were all, all on that ship. We were all on that ship, tore it up for in sure. The academy sides. It seemed a matter of time till they replaced Omri and Burkamp, but there you go. Um, I suppose the difference about Nketiah as opposed to Akpalm and Afobe is that they never had a moment like this. You know, he... He, as soon as he came into the team, he's had a massive, massive impact. And obviously, that's going to attract attention, create pressure around him. You know, Arsenal has been cautious with him. He said, you know, well, you know, he's he's not going to involve him in the Premier League straight away. You keep, you know, competing for minutes in, in European competition. And that's absolutely right. But it's just, it was just fun, wasn't it? It was just great to see a young academy player come on, make that kind of impact, have yeah. the night of his life. And maybe that will be the night of his life, but it was it was brilliant, and the fans were so behind him, and you could see that in his face, in his performance. Yeah, I, 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 I it was a miserable game, but a really fun fifteen minutes or so at the end. Yeah, I have yeah. to say, I fucking love that header. You know, um, being being a fan of thumping headers as it is, you know, if you've got a six foot four centre forward, you know, a 
Chris Sutton or, a, you know, one of those guys, Mark Haitley kind of a guy who gets up and plants a header home. That's fine. That's what you're supposed to do. But when you're five foot nine or whatever he is and you're between two uh, fairly gigantic Norwich defenders and it's all to do with your timing, it's to do with your, uh, your spring, how you jump, uh, just a, a fantastic goal. Because the first one, you know, he was there and he had to get a he had to get a foot on it, but it was a close range tap in, and you know, the right man can be in the right place at the right time. But it was the second goal for me that really made me think, okay, there's there's something here, and you know, you don't want to go overboard too soon. You don't want to talk up the guy, but it was impossible not to to look at it and not feel like, oh, okay, there really could be something here. There's a long way to go, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've got to be guarded and everything else. But it was a bit more than just like scoring a tap in and and. Uh, and, and getting the winner, there was there was yeah, some real I mean, quality in that second game, goal that is very you know, encouraging. You know the quality is there, but the ability to come on and make a difference, um, the kind of character that is involved in that is a quality you can't really know about from the training ground, that you can't necessarily see in the academy. The quality to cope with that kind of pressure, you know, mm. there's a lot of fans in that stadium, not quite as many as Arsenal claimed, but it was a big stage and Arsenal needed something. And that, that, that brings with it a considerable degree of pressure he thrived under that he seized upon it I thought the way he celebrated his goals I thought told you a lot about him you know there was a kind of attitude of a swagger about that at 18 years old I think that's uh, encouraging and you want that in a goal scorer and yeah. uh, you know that header was I mean what's funny is as they're lining up the corner I think Theo Walcott takes it and Katia's sort of not really up to much in the box he's relatively stationary he's looking around he doesn't appear to be that interested and then just as Walcott swings it in he springs into life and it's such a great leap I have to enjoy the irony the story goes that he was released by Chelsea for being too small I like the fact that he jumped about eight foot in the air to, to nod that home for us that's sort of one in the eye for them Absolutely well look you know it's probably it's probably going to get him some playing time in the next Carabao Cup game, which I think is against West Ham. Probably not a start, but certainly a go from the bench at some point. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's always been a feature of Arsene Wenger that if he feels a player is ready enough, he will include him regardless of his age. We've seen it with Nicolas Anelka, for example. Um, you know, when he was first introduced into the team, Cesc Fabregas, and I'm not saying... Uh, Nketiah is going to be those guys or, or as good as that. I'm just saying that we could probably learn a bit from uh, Arsene Wenger about how he views him and, and whether or not he's going to be somebody who can contribute this season. So, yeah, no, very enjoyable, though, isn't it? Just, you know, in a game where it was just, uh, you know, for, for that kid to come on and do that and make that kind of an impact. Yeah, and, um, and you know what? Amazing. I mean, I've enjoyed the Europa League. I know that our last outing in it wasn't the most salubrious, but I've enjoyed watching the Europa League games, and this adds another level of intrigue, doesn't it? I mean, Nketiah will be on the bench, I would imagine, for the Red Star game on Thursday. And, yeah. You know. Well, you know what, though? There's the other thing, that if we win the game against Red Star on Thursday, I think we qualify. I don't think there's right. any way we can not top the group if we finish with 12 points. So then you've got two games in the Europa League where it doesn't matter what happens. And you can then maybe go a little younger with your team or maybe, you know, uh, just rotate a little bit differently and give those guys a bit more playing time. So, you know, if the right result comes about on Thursday, then it could be an opportunity for him to show what he can do in, in the two other games. You know, one of them will be, I think, away in Cologne. Um, and then there's, I think, Borisov at home. So, you know, let's hope we can do what we need to do on Thursday. And, uh, you know, everyone wants yeah, to see well, more of a, a kid like that. Sure so. I wouldn't imagine anyone who was yeah. involved right. against Swansea or who would be involved against Manchester City will be involved uh, against Red Star. Well, they'll be a completely changed side. 
No, yeah, yeah, complete change again. All right, well, look, we will take a break right here. We're going to come back and answer your questions in part two right after this. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. So do you want to start or will I start? Uh, Why don't you start? Okay, here's one from uh, 49 Unbeaten 2004, who is at 49 Unbeaten 2004 which is handy. He says, what should the game plan be against Manchester City? Play how we did against Chelsea or keep to the current tactics, i.e. attack? And furthermore, Mike D, who's at Mike USDK, wants to know, do we keep her in the starting lineup or is it time for Rob Holding to start? Mm-hmm. Well, the game plan, that is very difficult, isn't it? Because Manchester City um, look Brilliant. I mean, they look like as good a team as I've seen in the Premier League for some time. Going, Scary going good. forward, Scary it's good. absurd. And I think the the maddest thing about it is that they have so many top quality players that they can rotate one or two in or out, and you barely notice the difference. You know, if it's if it's Aguero or it's uh, you know Gabriel Jesus, if it's Sane or Sterling or it doesn't matter which silver it is <laughs> they, they've they still got so much quality out there um, Yeah. now bear in mind they'll be using their best team against us I imagine whatever that you know Pep determines that is uh, I think it has to be a bit of a maybe, maybe we have to go for it I mean can we really defend against a team like this I'm sure other teams have tried it I don't know if we've got the quality defensively to withstand it but I just think if we sit back we might get pulled apart would we be naive though to go for it against a team like Manchester City which is so lethal on yeah. the break and which could do you so much damage you know that that's the other side of that particular question um, you know I think we are if we have a strong point it's our uh, it's our attack if we have a weak point, it's our defense, a bit like Manchester City. But I don't know that we could, you know, if we go there and we like have a go at them the way we've done a, 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 a big teams in the past and we let in a goal early on and then let in another one, everyone would say, well, what are you doing? You're so naive. Why do you do this every time? Why don't you play a bit like you played at, at Chelsea? And, I, I, you know, personally, I think that's the way 
that we should approach it is to put in the kind of hardworking performance that might negate some of the qualities that City have. I'm not sure that we have the players, uh, particularly through the midfield, who are going to be able to cut off all those supply lines uh, that that City can create. But I think if we were to go and go absolutely gung-ho and get our our wing-backs going forward and and leaving space in behind them, I, I just think it would be... It would be just really naive because we know they can hurt us like that. Even if our strength is our attack, I think we have to focus a little bit more on being organized and being disciplined. But, um, yeah, I mean, well, where do you stand on the Murtisacker question? Because, uh, you know, uh, he did look a little bit slow in, in the game against Swansea. There was a moment towards the end of the first half. I thought he was fouled. I it looked to me like a foul. Um, yeah. Um, but I think it, 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 it was a foul that came about because it was a, a slow kind of a touch. Um, you know, would you look at a would you look at a back, f- you know, a back three of holding Monreal and Koscielny perhaps is a bit more able to deal with the dynamism of Manchester City? Perhaps so. I mean, I, I should say, first of all, I agree with you uh, on reflection. I think if we can produce a performance like the Chelsea one, then that is the way to go. I actually, in my mind, I think had forgotten that we were capable of something like that, which I think is forgivable given how many times we failed to do that in the past. Um, what's interesting about that performance is that it had very particular personnel. You know, Meza Ozil didn't play that game. Alexis Sanchez didn't play that yeah. game. Uh, so do you think that Arsene Wenger... I mean, Mertzak has one question mark, but do you think there are other areas of the team where he may be ruthless with his selection or, or not so much ruthless, but maybe particular with his selection? Maybe. I mean, the one, the obvious one is Ozil, isn't it? Whether he plays him away from home in one of those big games when pretty much every time he's played him, we haven't got a result. And that's not to put all the blame on Ozil, but it's certainly been uh, an issue that we've had to deal with. Um I mean, he could demand the kind of performance from Ozil that he got at, at, at Everton. Maybe Ozil is, you know, up for it and ready to show that he is capable of playing in these big games. I mean, that must hurt him for people to question, can you play this guy away from home against one of the big teams? Because whatever um, you might want to think about players, they all want to play in the yeah. big games. You know, they all want to play against the best teams, against Liverpool, against United, against Tottenham. They all want to play in those games. So it's got to hurt if you're being left out or being questioned whether your suitability is being questioned for something like this. So I guess he's going to have to look at his squad and decide whether or not, uh, you know, he, he is he is the guy to do that. Can he take on... Um, can he take on whoever's playing... Who's playing left back? Who's going to play left back or left side for for uh, Manchester City. I mean, Fabian um, Delph had been playing there. Fabian yeah. Delph. I don't know if he did. So that could be an issue. That could be the thing where you go, if it's if it's someone like Mendy who could maraud forward and, and cause real problems, okay. If it's someone like Fabian Delph, over whom Ozil could have a, a you know, real hold in the final third, maybe that then influences mm, your thinking. Maybe. I mean, Mertzaka, I probably... Mm. I would probably stick with him, you know. I know that he had a couple of shaky moments against Swansea and I think, you know, they they looked to test him. They looked to try and drag him out into the channels if they could and they looked to try and get him one-on-one. But I still think if we are going to play in a more compact way, in a, you know, in a deeper way, in a way where we look to have what we hold first, 
I think he he is a man for that, and he showed that in the FA Cup final. And I think that if he can produce a performance like that, which is a big if, I think he is still the right guy. And I actually think organisation will be a key factor as well on the day. And if you go with Koscielny, Monreal and Holding, you sacrifice a little bit of that leadership. So yeah. I think I'd keep him in. I mean, you're a big Murtisaka fan. Would you Would you dispense with him for this game? I think I would probably keep him, to be honest. My my issue really for this one is what, what we're going to be like in central midfield. And are we going to have the positional and uh, defensive discipline in midfield that we need for a game against Manchester City? You know, with, with Granit Xhaka and Aaron Ramsey, um, you know, they, they've shown they can do it. They did it. Uh, they've done it well before, but that would be the that would be the main worry for me. It's about whether we need that extra body in midfield or whether we need it at the back. Um I, I can't see him changing formation for this one, so I assume he's going to go with the three at the back. If that is the case, I think when you do have a a game like this, experience uh, someone who can read the game, and and that's Mertesacker's strengths at this point, could well be crucial. It's whether or not he can cope or the defense can cope with the speed of movement that Manchester City have in that final third. You know, they're pretty uh, pretty amazing. So. Um, yeah, we've seen teams struggle against them all season, so uh, it it is a worry. Whatever way you look at it, or whatever whatever your fears are, it is a it is a big worry because yeah. they've just been so good. You have to say this does feel like a game where if he was fit, you can imagine Danny Welbeck being picked. You know, I, I I don't know who for necessarily, but I just think when you look at City, like Kyle Walker, such a threat for them going forward on the flank. Uh, you know, he gets in behind time after time, and having attacking players who are prepared to track back and hold their positions effectively could be really valuable if that's the the strategy we choose to adopt. The issue with the three at the back system we have at the moment is kind of that in Ozil, uh, Alexis and sometimes even Aaron Ramsey, we always have three guys who are granted almost free roles. You know, there's a lot of liberty for them in terms of where they, they go on the pitch and we just can't afford that, can we? At the Etihad, I think we'll be, you know. No, we can't. We can't. I mean, you can play those players if if you're sure that yeah. they will act to instruction, but you can't give a free roll to three players. You just can't do it. Um, you know, in particular, whatever about the two guys in the front three, in particular, Ramsey. Ramsey has to, if he's picked, uh, play as deep. Uh, as he possibly can, maybe not quite as deep as Granite Xhaka, but certainly not marauding forward all the time because it's when we lose the ball and those spaces become uh, available in midfield, that's where City will hurt us because they've got such good players, you know, the two Silvers and... Kevin De Bruyne, you know, we really have to work hard on on cutting out what they can do. You know, the minute they get into our half, they're capable of splitting a defence open. So it's incumbent on the midfield to... uh, uh, to make life difficult for them, so that that's the decision he's going to have to make. So we we'll, we'll wait and, we'll see. Wait and I see. was Intrigued on, on the subject of selection for City by this question from at Herbie Gooner on Twitter. Um, one man who Wenger doesn't seem to have any issues with playing against City is Alexis Sanchez. He spoke about that uh, post game the other day, and Herbie Gooner says, uh, mm. "I see Arsene Wenger isn't concerned about playing Alexis versus City. Has he forgotten about Oxlade Chamberlain versus the Mug Smashers?" Uh, I doubt it, but the difference is, of course, is that Oxlade Chamberlain joined Liverpool a day later or two days later, whereas Sanchez, the earliest he can join, is January, and I don't think we're going to let him go in January, as we've said. 
So I think, you know, as I, as I wrote in the blog today, my highly idealistic head says that City are so good from an attacking point of view. They're just so um, dynamic. Uh, they can score goals. The movement is excellent. They have a range of players they can play. That for Alexis Sanchez to uh, to remind City what he can do, he needs to do something, uh, you know, from an Arsenal point of view, in an Arsenal shirt to say, hey, look, you, you do actually need me because it looks no. right now that they don't. It doesn't look like they need anybody. They're so good. Um, and, you know, that, that, that doesn't mean that Pep Guardiola doesn't know the qualities of Alexis Sanchez or, or would be dismissive of them. Um, so, no, I don't think the two situations are in any way comparable, to be honest. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain clearly knew he was going to Liverpool uh, when he played against them, and he played like it. He played that way. Uh, whereas Sanchez... Even if he does go into Manchester City, the earliest it's going to be is next year. And I, I would agree with Arsene Wenger where he talks about players who want to go out on the pitch and they want to win. I don't think it will be uh, something that Alexis uh, thinks about too much. He's not going to not play just because it's Manchester City. I don't believe that for a second. I think he's he's going to want to go out there. He's going to want to score goals. You know, the idea that he might, what, take his foot off the pedal and not score a goal. We know every time you watch the guy, every time, every game he's played for us, from the day he's arrived, you can see that he wants to score. He wants to make a, a contribution. Even if he gets a couple of assists, he's not happy because he hasn't scored. Uh, so I don't see it being no, an issue I at think all, he do you? Play. I think he's the one. I think Ozil... There could be a touch of doubt, but I think Alexis will absolutely play and he'll be determined to impress. You're right, City don't look like they need him. Um, he might he might just want to deliver a reminder of, of how good he can be. Yeah. All right. Um, Antoine Eloy or Eloi. I'm not quite sure. I apologize, Antoine. It's uh, ACATWizzle, at ACATWizzle on Twitter. He says, after the AGM and the Telegraph article, do you have any real hope for Arsenal under Kroenke's leadership? And we could maybe touch a little bit on the, uh, the um, AGM in general. Not, I don't know if I have any less than I did before. I feel like we didn't necessarily. It's not to criticise the, you know, the people who, who wrote up the piece with Stan Kroenke for the Telegraph, but I don't think it won't surprise anyone that it was. It wasn't massively revelatory. Um, it was kind of sentiments that we <laughs> have heard before, and I think what's more telling is his unwillingness to speak in a public forum at the AGM. Um, and, uh, you oh. know, I think that I actually wasn't at the AGM this year, but I imagine it must have been a very frustrating uh, experience for anybody who was. I mean, Tim Stillman wrote it up very well for us, Blog News, and that's a, a, an account that gives an idea not just of the, the facts, but I think of kind of the sentiment in the room. Um, it sounds like it was a an awkward occasion at best but yeah no I don't I don't have gr- yeah. Go on. what did you think of the um, yeah sorry you don't have great I was going to ask what, what what you thought of the telegraph uh, I I mean to be honest I I don't really think it's worth the paper it's written on or the screens we read it on I I, I, I like I of course of course he's going to say what he's going to say I mean you know, it's a it's a PR exercise we, we approach Alisher Usmanov's statements with, you know, a, a suitable degree of caution. And I, I think you have to take the same tack with Kroenke. And I think actions will always speak louder than words. And his actions, you know, have told us everything we need to know about his ownership of Arsenal. Not just his actions at Arsenal, but his actions with his other franchises in, in the States, you know. And um, they're often mm. the most alarming 
element of being under Kroenke's ownership, seeing what's happened to other teams who have yeah. kind of suffered that fate. So no, I I, uh, I felt very gloomy about yeah. the whole thing, really. And the AGM, to be honest, I mean, over the past few years, I remember when the AGM, you know, Arsene Wenger would sign up to make a speech and it would always be quite a rousing thing. And he's a fantastic speaker, but the, the gloom that emanates from these occasions, in a way, I was sort of glad to not be there. What, what did you... Um, make of events yeah it was weird because I just sort of got down here and it was hard really to get my head around everything that happened but I obviously read what Tim wrote and uh, I caught some video or maybe at least just audio you know I think the chairman did not did not comport himself particularly well you know when he was asked would Stan Kroenke speak he said you know read the Daily Telegraph and find out what Stan Kroenke speaks and it was sort of put to me actually in an email from somebody who said you know maybe it's worth bearing in mind with regards to uh, Sir Chips Keswick's response and and by no means here am I excusing Sir Chips Keswick at all I think the way he behaved the way he spoke to people you know was really arrogant it was like the people were beneath him and not worthy of his time but somebody said to me maybe it's worth bearing in mind that you know uh, Sir Chips and a number of the Arsenal board were not on board with giving Arsene Wenger a new contract that if he seemed chippy if you want to use that (laughs) expression maybe it was directed at Kroenke a little bit you know but what I thought was was the worst thing for me was that Kroenke had an opportunity to say something. He didn't have to say a lot to Arsenal fans. All he had to do was stand up and say, look, I understand why people are unhappy, but I can assure you you know, that my commitment to Arsenal is 100%. I want to make this team a success. I want this club to win trophies, and I will do whatever it takes to make that happen. I know you probably don't believe me, given everything that's gone before, but you know this is my commitment to this football club, is to, to make it a success and you know to, to bring back the glory days. Something like that. He didn't have to say more than 20 seconds, and he sat there in silence. And that just shows to me that he does not care. He does not care. He does not feel answerable to anybody. He doesn't feel like it's his uh, remit to uh, to do anything other than sit and watch the the share price uh, increase and the value of the club increase. I thought the the piece in the Telegraph, you know, it, it might as well have been written by a PR firm. To be perfectly honest, uh, you get no sense of him. You get no sense of his son. Uh, no sense that they really actually care about what happens to Arsenal. And uh, it's hard not to feel gloomy, like you say, about what, what goes on at these events. Um, because, you know, leadership at a football club comes from the very top. It should come from the very top. And I thought Wenger, as always, spoke well. But, you know, it, it's set from the people who own the club. What do they want What do the people who own Arsenal Football Club want? Do they want it to be a success? Do they want it to win trophies? Do they want to push the boat out to make that happen? Do they want to take risks to make that happen? Do they have ambition for the football club? And I think the answer to all those questions is no. Yeah, I think that they, (laughs) the people at the very top probably only care about on-pitch success to the extent to which they feel it might affect the brand. And that is a horrible sentence to say, mm. but you know that is how Arsenal is governed and treated by certain people is as a brand. And you know if that brand would became sufficiently yeah. hurt by failing to achieve success on the pitch, then maybe they would do something about it because it would affect their commercial side. But you know I think they they see it as something that's kind of ticking over and continuing to bring in a, enormous revenue. Uh, mm. 
it, it's and I was disappointed by some chips, really disappointed. I think maybe I, I sort of, as someone who's had an association with the club for a long time, I I expect I think I maybe had expectations of him that he sort of didn't fulfil in terms of the way that he would treat and deal with the fans. But um, he isn't the problem. He isn't the problem. Uh, no. No, he might be a symptom. Of no, it, but that he's allowed behave in that way is is a is a symptom exactly. of it, and it's not really becoming of a, a club that likes to talk about its class and talk about Absolutely. how it likes to do things the right way. And I think what what was really good about Tim's article was that you know he made he made that point that there are many great things that the club do. You know, in terms of the the work they do with the community, um, you know, at a local level, it's really really important, uh, and they do so much good stuff. But they they let themselves down at board level completely. And um, it's it's just like, how can you not worry about where we're going? Like, if, the, if there is this split between the board and Cronky, if there is this split between the board and the manager, you know, the, uh, situations like that, unhealthy relationships like that, very rarely become productive. Mm. Um, and, and they just tend to get worse and have a more negative impact. And maybe if, maybe, you know, if those board members, and I think we know who, who some of them are, you know, maybe if they had the right amount of integrity, they could walk away or should walk away rather than, you know, take the money and, and start doing the PR and the charm exercises. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's a bit hard not to be um, disheartened about what's going on at that part of the club. Um, there was another question about the AGM I had. What was it for? Let's have a little look. Um, ah, it was from Sami Azam Ali on Twitter who said... Um, is the Arsene Wenger's position will be reviewed comment at the AGM genuine or was it just PR to placate fans? I I saw this question, but I didn't quite understand it. I was going to ask you for the context. Uh, what is the context well, I of think that? They said it came out that they said he, it would be reviewed at the end of the season. Um. um yeah, I, I, I think uh, actually we had a question like this at the the talk in Melbourne on Saturday night. I think there has to be some clarity, you know, because what can happen surely is we can get to the final year of Arsene Wenger's contract and for it to become a saga again, right? We can't go through that whole thing again. Are you going to sign? Are you not going to sign? Is it going to affect the players? Is it not going to affect the players? What about the players who are here or the players who you you know um, might want to bring in? Are you going to be here for them in a season's time or what? So I think um, I think there's got to be some clarity. If he does go into the final year of his contract, there needs to be immediate clarity as to what's going on. Yeah. Like, is it his final year? Is it not? Yeah. Because if you know, if we allow it to become a a, a thing like it was before. It'd just be another disaster, you know. Um, so maybe there is something to it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there was maybe there was some kind of compromise with some of the board members about you know you know let let him sign a two year deal, but maybe he might move on after one year and you save yourself all that all that hassle. But I don't really see it because Wenger has always spoken about how he he will uh, see out his contract. He'll always honour his contract, and the only way that you know his contract wouldn't be fulfilled is if Arsenal fired him. And I can't see that happening either under under Cronky. So it's a difficult one, but it's it 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 can't be managed the way that it was managed previously. Because if it is, it's just going to be another pain in the hole for everybody. Yeah, for clarity, what Arsten said was that he uh, would sit with the board and assess his performance in the season, and then he said, uh, "Oh, 
page has just jumped. He said, after that, we decide where we go from there. But of course, my desire has always been to respect my contracts. So there you go. Mm. I mean, it, it, uh, the thing is, there would have been... You can see the thinking in the board's mind that if even if they were of a mind for asking to go in 20... Uh, what will it be next at summer? 18 that they could not have necessarily put him under a one-year contract because having just seen the damaging effect that the imminent expiration of the management contract had, it would have been crazy, right, to say, well, let's just carry that state of uncertainty on for another 12 months. Um, So, so, yeah, yeah, maybe they will reassess. I mean, if if, if Austin is ever going to break a contract, it's going to be his last one, isn't it? So we shall see. Mm. We shall see. Okay, here's one from Max Schilling, who asks, Ramsey now has 50 goals for the club, including the winners in two FA Cups. Will he be remembered as an Arsenal legend? Will anyone else in the squad? Really good question, because 50 goals uh, from Arsenal from midfield is a pretty remarkable feat. Bear in mind that in that time, Ramsey's never been a regular penalty taker. I think that the only players who've done that um, under Arsene Wenger I saw a stat about this actually who've done it without being penalty takers I think might be Perez and Jumberg but I'm not I'm not sure um, okay I think Fabregas has done it maybe but he scored a lot of penalties along the way uh, and you know that puts him in very celebrated company and those FA Cup final goals are massive aren't they I mean if you take if you step back far enough and look at the, the last decade at Arsenal and you're like well what are the big moments? Ramsey has been involved in them, hasn't he? And then that 2014 goal, mm. that is probably the moment of uh, the second half of Arsene Wenger's reign in terms of, you know, finally ending that long wait for a trophy. And yet he hasn't quite won the hearts of the Arsenal fans as a whole. And I think it's partly because he's a frustrating yeah. player but at times. But I also, but you know, Alexis Sanchez can be bloody frustrating to watch but we forgive him it I do wonder if it's a little bit of a personality thing I do wonder if that Ramsey's personality maybe just doesn't quite click with the fans in the way that certain others have I, I wonder if he's not got the same natural charisma as certain players and maybe that makes him a bit less of a kind of iconic figure than others who've come before that's my sort of yeah. theory at the moment yeah I mean, I, I have to say, you know, given that the first game I remember was the 1979 FA Cup final and Alan Sunderland scored the winner and to me, you know, remains an Arsenal legend simply yeah. for that goal. When you score the winner in two FA Cup finals, you know, how else do you cement yourself into the history of a football club? You know, leaving aside his, the frustration you might have uh, around him, maybe it depends on your age. You know, people who are like super analytical of the game right now might think... Okay, Ramsey is frustrating. He's contributed a great deal, but, you know, does that give him legendary status? Perhaps not. You know, it's not like saying he's Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira or Dennis Bergkamp. But, you know, if you're a kid now watching Arsenal and Aaron Ramsey has given you two trophies in the last couple of years, why wouldn't he be a legend? So I think, you know, I think it depends. Um, I think if you score the winner in two cup finals, score the winner in a cup final, you're 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 going a long way to to going down as somebody who makes a big contribution because all we want you know uh, or all people demand is um is trophies mm-hmm. they want trophies 
And it's, uh, you know, if the guy scores a goal that wins you trophies, then is he not giving you exactly what you want? Does that not deserve some kind of uh, legendary status? So for me, you know, I understand why he wrecks people's heads. Um, but, you know, two FA Cup final winners, you know, one in extra time against Hull to mark that comeback, one against Chelsea coming just, what, 30 seconds after they'd equalised. Come on. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah. It is pretty brilliant. Whatever else he does, you can't take those moments away from him. And I think what you have to remember is, how did you feel at those moments? Don't think about how you feel about Ramsey in general. Think about how you felt at those moments. When the ball hit the back of the net against Hull, when he poked it home, and when he stooped to make that header against Chelsea, how did you feel at that moment? Is that legendary? I think it probably is. I think it is too. And I think... You know, legends are built on stories, and I think sometimes we forget Aaron Ramsey's story. You know, a guy who came here as a teenager was so promising and who nearly had his career taken away from him by a really terrible tackle and who's come back to be a top... You know, from that injury has become, nonetheless, one of the top midfielders in Europe, a guy who has won FA Cups for us with his contribution... It's an amazing story. And I think that, you know, sometimes we're looking in such fine detail at, you know, his passing stats or his passing ratio or, you know, uh, from each game that we don't look at the bigger picture. And I think when we step back, you know, it is it is something pretty remarkable that he's done in his career and his contribution mm. to Arsenal is massive. I think the the one thing I would say is that I think we might be about to enter a period where he becomes an even more central figure at Arsenal. If you think about mm. the players that could leave next summer, if you think about the issue of the captaincy, which will have to be addressed after Permat Saka's retirement, I do wonder if Aaron Ramsey's best days may still be yet to come. But those two days he gave us at Wembley um, really should, should make him a legend in time. And I think, to be honest, yeah. it, 20 years down the line... That is what he'll be remembered for. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, you got one more? Yeah, I've got one more. Um, let's have a little look. Oh, yeah, well, we spoke a lot about uh, Klasinac today. Uh, Timo Somelli on Twitter said, Why is Hector not as productive as Sayad? It feels like everyone talks up Hector to be an amazing wing-back, but there's no end product. Um... It's a good question. Maybe he's a little less supported on that right-hand side than Kalasinak is on the on the left, because Alexis tends to to hang a bit more left uh, and stay a bit more on the left-hand side, whereas Ozil at this moment in time drifts and he is given the license to move centrally. And uh, I think there's a bit more. I think um, Bellerin certainly was productive in his first couple of seasons. He got uh, a fair number of assists and goals. So it could just be a little a little. Um, little period where we're not quite sure um, how much he's going to contribute in games. I mean, what 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 is our expectation? Kolasinac has got three goals this season. Does Bellerin have a goal this season? I seem to think like he does. Not in the Premier League at any rate. They're, they're the only numbers right. I've got in front of. Um, I mean, what I can tell you is that according to Squawker, Bellerin's created 10 chances for his teammates this season. Only Meza Ozil, Alexis Sanchez and Granit Xhaka have done that more often and Shaka takes set pieces. So, you know, yeah. it's not like he's he's not getting into dangerous areas. I think you you make a good point. I think Ozil engages in combination play a little bit less frequently than Alexis on the opposite flank. Uh, but I also think that 
I think that Glasnach has got a bit more experience in uh, the wing-back role. I think the time of his runs is a bit better. And as I say, I just think composure is a big factor, a big, mm. big factor. And sometimes you see Bellerin get a goal score opportunity, you see him thrash it slightly, you see him get to the byline and his pullback doesn't find anybody. I actually think that he gets in very frequently. He just doesn't necessarily make the most of it. But yeah. you've got to remember, he's still a young player, still learning a new position. Yeah, his final ball, if he can figure that out, he, he would be just as productive, I think, as Kolasinac. And he did score, actually. He scored the third goal in the 3-1 win over over Cologne. So, yeah, just oh, give, him, give him some time. Give him some time. Okay, final question then for me. This is from Andrew Tegala, who's on Facebook, and he says, what are your views on replica kits? I'm getting a great deal of stick from colleagues at work from wanting to buy a, recl- a replica top with a favourite Arsenal player name printed on the back. I've been lucky enough to get tickets from Manchester, I don't know, whether it's City or United the Emirates I plan to wear it then I can understand the whole thing with full kit but when did it become unfashionable to wear a replica kit to the stadium on match day very good question um, I don't is know it? if I it's unfashionable it? I mean well, if you go to the Emirates all the time. yeah <laughs> there's plenty of people in Arsenal kits I think maybe there's a bit of an element of like too cool for school some people are like well you know mm. I don't want to kind of uh, engage to that extent I mean for me the cost is the factor. I mean, if I'm not getting that kit for free, I'm probably not getting that kit. Like, it's just a lot <laughs> of money for for an Arsenal shirt these days. And to put a name on the back, you're adding another 15 quid on it. But I think that uh, there's nothing wrong in that at all. My issue is I could never decide who I would have on the back of the shirt because game to game, my opinion on all the players fluctuates, you know, so... <laughs> I, that I, I, it'd be hard for me to find one guy. I'm like, I'm st- he's my guy for this season. You know, yeah. I'm going to stick his name on the back. So, uh, whatever happens, I'll wear that out with pride in in public. I think that's the tricky thing. Yeah, but yeah. I I, uh, I have no qualms with wearing a a, a replica shirt. I, th- I I suppose it's more like if we were if we were top of the league, I'd probably be wearing my Arsenal shirt for this season out every single day. While you're parking <laughs> um, your car, maybe I'm not. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Attract even more attention to myself. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do you wear replica shirts? No, not really. I mean, the last one I got had Andre Santos on the back of it, so I've kind of uh, given up uh, at this point. Um, so, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a, a replica shirt to, to the game. If you're going to a game, you see it all the time. You see all kinds of uh, names and numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe some people would say once you get to a certain age, you know, you, you're, you're, you're beyond replica shirts. But fuck it. Like, who are we to tell anybody what to wear? Wear what you like, Andrew. That's what I would say. If you want to wear a, a, a replica shirt with your favorite player printed on the back, then by all means, you know, go for it. I wonder who his favourite player is, though. That's the thing. Maybe that's a, an issue as well. well. Yeah. He hasn't said. He hasn't said. He hasn't but said. But yeah, don't let the haters get you down. Exactly. Give that sweet money to Puma. <laughs> <laughs> to Puma and Stan Kroenke, you know. Um, line his pockets. Line his pockets. Okay, well, look, we've got a game against Red Star Belgrade on Thursday, so fingers crossed we can do that. And by, uh, hopefully, uh, I will have an Arscast uh, from Sydney because I'm going to Sydney on Thursday. Uh, and uh, right. with, with all things going well, I will have an Arscast on Friday 
uh, for everybody. Uh, but for now, uh, James, um, we will catch you. Actually, next week is going to be weird for the Arsecast Extra because I don't get back to Dublin until Tuesday. So we might need to leave it until Tuesday. A very jet-lagged Arsecast Extra um, after the Manchester City game. It won't be on Monday. Uh, just it's not possible because I'm going to be uh, flying from Sydney to, to Dublin. Uh, so we'll hopefully catch up on Tuesday. Um, in the meantime, safe parking. Um, mind the mind the handbrake. You're, how typical that you know you have a little bit of a problem with your handbrake um, when it comes to your hey. car in Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> had to be done. Had to be done. All right. Well, look. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.